ಪಾರ್ಥಯ ಪ್ರತಿಬೋಧಿ ಭಗವತ ನಾರಾಯಣ ಸ್ವಯಂ ವ್ಯಾಸೇನಗ್ರಥಿತುರಾಣಮುನಿ ಮಧ್ಯೆ ಮಹಾಭಾರತ ಅದ್ವೈತಮೃತವರ್ಷಿಣಿ ಭಗವತಿ ಅಷ್ಟಾದಶಾಧ್ಯಾ ಅಂಬತ್ವಾಮನುಸಂದಿ ಭಗವದ್ವೇಷಿಣೀಂಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣೇಂದ್ರರುದ್ರಮರುತ ಸ್ತುನ್ವಂತಿ ದಿವ್ಯೈಸ್ತವೈ ವೇದೈಸ್ಸಾಂಗಪದಕ್ರಮೋಪನಿಷದೈ ಗಾಯಂತಿ ಸಾಮಗಾ ಧ್ಯಾನವಸ್ಥಿರತೈನ ಮನಸ ಪಶ್ಯಂತಿ ಯೋಗಿನ ಯಾಂತನ್ನ ವಿರುಸುರಸುರಗಣ ದೇವಾಯ ತಸ್ಮೈ ನಮಃ ಪ್ರಜಾಪಿಯಾಕಾನ್ಸರ್ವಾನ್ ಪಾರ್ಥಮನೋಹತಾನ್ ಆತ್ಮನ್ನೇವಾತ್ಮನಾಸ್ಥಿತಿಸ್ಕ್ರೈಬಿಂಗ್ ದಿ ಕ್ಯಾರೆಕ್ಟರಿಸ್ಟಿಕ್ಸ್ ಆರ್ ದಿ ನ್ಯಾಚುರಲ್ ಟ್ರೈಟ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ವೈಸ್ ಮೈನ್ ಇನ್ ದಿ ಫಸ್ಟ್ ವರ್ಡ್ಸ್ ಲಾರ್ಡ್ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಸೈಸ್ ಪ್ರಜಾಪಿಯಾಕಾನ್ ಮೀನ್ ಆಲ್ ದಿ ಡಿಸೈರ್ಸ್ ರಿಸೈಡಿಂಗ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಮೈಂಡ್ ಮೀನ್ ಆಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಐ ಡಿಸ್ಕಸ್ ಯಸ್ಟರ್ಡೇ ಡಿಸೈರ್ಸ್ ಕೆನ್ ಆಫ್ ಗಿವನ್ ಅಪ್ ಡಿಸೈರ್ಸ್ ಹೌ ಟು ಗೋ ಅವೇ ಇಫ್ ದೇ ಚೂಸ್ ಟು ಗೋ ಅವೇ ದಟ್ಸ್ ವೆಲ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಗುಡ್ ಬಿಕಾಸ್ ವಿ ಕೆನಾಟ್ ಗಿವ್ ಅಪ್ ದ ಡಿಸೈರ್ for a very simple reason that desire just arises we don't have a choice in not desiring we don't have a choice in not entertaining a certain thought and therefore desire is something that arises when would it arise whenever i feel a sense of lack insufficiency incompleteness with myself definitely there is going to be a desire to become complete or become sufficient if i feel i'm unhappy there is naturally a desire for becoming happy so we cannot will to give up desires then what is meant here when it is said that the wise man is the one who gives up all the desires it only means that a wise man enjoys a condition of mind where there is no need for the desires to arise meaning he has grown out for the need for the desire and when is a desire as i said when there is a sense of incompleteness a lack within myself that means the wise man is the one who is free from lack and therefore the desires do not arise <coughs> the cause for the desire is a sense of lack sense of incompleteness a want within myself and that's why taitriya upanishad uh, describes the knowledge in this sense yoveda nahitam guhayam parame vyoman ಸೋಷ್ಣುತೆ ಸರ್ವಾನ್ ಕಾಮನ್ ಸಹ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣ ವಿಪಶ್ಚಿತೇತಿ ಸ್ಬ್ರಹ್ಮನ್ ಸತ್ಯಂ ಜ್ಞಾನವನಂತಂ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ಆರ್ ಗಾಡ್ ಈಸ್ ಸತ್ಯಂ ಜ್ಞಾನವನಂತಂ ಇಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಟ್ರೂತ್ ಇಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಅವೇರ್ನೆಸ್ ನಾಲೆಜ್ ಇಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಲಿಮಿಟ್ಲೆಸ್ ವೆರ್ ಈಸ್ ಇಟ್ ಯೋಗೇದ ನಿಹಿತಂ ಗುಹಾಂ ಗುಹಾಂ ನಿಹಿತಂ ಇಟ್ ಇಸ್ ದಟ್ ವಿಚ್ ಡ್ವೆಲ್ಸ್ ಇನ್ ದಿ ಗುಹಾ ಆರ್ ದ ಕೇವ್ ಆಫ್ ಮೈ ಹಾರ್ಟ್ that brahman or god who is truth who is knowledge who is limitless is not away from me it is the one that abides in my own heart as my very self yo ved nahitam guhayam parame vyoman how come at the moment i don't know myself to be brahman parame vyoman only when the heart becomes like space meaning becomes pure becomes shining becomes formless that then alone the the atma that is formless shines there in its true form and when this knowledge is gained knowledge of the true nature of the self is gained so snute sarvan kaman sah upanishad says the wise man who knows the self as brahman the limitless he experiences or enjoys all the desires simultaneously or all the pleasures simultaneously soshnude sarvan kamansah sahamin simultaneously together 
that person enjoys all the desires simultaneously. Imagine if all the desires were to, to be fulfilled simultaneously. What would be the amount of joy? Limitless. Brahmana vipaschitesi, Brahmana vipaschita. Because he himself is Brahman, which is vipaschit, meaning which of the nature of awareness. And therefore, as Brahman, the wise man enjoys all the desires or all the desirable things simultaneously. The meaning is that the very knowledge is of the nature of joy. The knowledge itself, itself is of the nature of joy. You don't require anything else to be happy. So knowledge of self, itself is happiness. There's one case where knowledge and happiness are one alone. Knowing myself also is being happy because the self is of the nature of happiness. And that is what is said in the second line of the verse, Atmaniva Atmana Tushtaha. The wise man is Tushtaha, completely satisfied within himself, by himself. Meaning for satisfaction or happiness, he doesn't need anything other than himself. Because he himself is sufficient to be happy. And this is the truth of our life. That in fact, we ourselves are sufficient to be happy. Really speaking, we don't need anything else at all because the self is of the nature of happiness. Except a wise person knows this and ignorant does not know, that's the only difference. The self is the same whether the person is wise or ignorant. The wise one knows the self to be of the nature of happiness. So he knows the self as happiness. Therefore, no effort on the part of the wise person to be happy. Find himself happy effortlessly. And when I am happy, where is the scope for desire? The moment when I am happy or completely satisfied at that moment, there is no desire in my heart. Even today. The moment when I find myself very happy, at that time, desire cannot be. Desire can be when I am not happy, then I want to be happy. But when I am happy, what do I want to be? I don't want to be anything. Because I am what I have been wanting to be. So, the reason behind every desire is to be happy. And therefore, when I find myself happy, it is a fulfillment of the desire. So, in the heart that is happy, at that moment at least, there cannot be a desire. Yes, if there is a lack of happiness or there is a degree of happiness, meaning I feel that I am not happy enough, then there can be desire to be happy enough. But suppose I am happy enough, in that case, there cannot be a desire. Wise man is happy. That wisdom is the nature of joy or happiness. And therefore, there is no need for a desire. That's the reason why all the desires have left his mind. It is not that he has given up desires. It is that desires have left him. There is no reason for the desires to arise. Because the very ground for the desire, namely a want or incompleteness, is not there. So two things are there. That's the reason why all we have to understand is that as long as there is a desire in my mind that shows a sense of lack or incompleteness within me, because desire can be only for something that I do not have at the moment, and thus I feel that if I have something or if I experience something, that I'll be complete or I'll be happy. So it is that lack or want within myself alone that is responsible for the arising of the desires in my mind. And that lack can go only when I discover myself to be free from lack. And that is the knowledge of the wise man and therefore there is no scope of desire. And so when desires do arise in my mind, what should I do with them? Should I go ahead and satisfy them right away? Well, this verse tells us that a wise man can be completely free from desire. Meaning he enjoys a state of mind where the desires are no more there. Then perhaps I should also scrutinize whether the desires which arise in my mind are they legitimate or valid desires. And thus we should scrutinize. Nobody would say that you should reject the desires or suppress desires or disown the desires. We have to be honest with ourselves. However, just because the mind demands something does not mean that it can be a legitimate demand or it can be a right demand. Mind demands security, happiness, naturally, because it thinks it is insecure and happy. But is it so? Is it true? I do feel a sense of limitation, a sense of lack. It is all right. But is it genuine or is it right? Is it valid, let us put it this way? 
my knowledge of myself that I am an incomplete being, is it a valid knowledge? If it is valid knowledge, fine, go ahead and attempt to make yourself complete. But first of all, determine this, whether is it valid? Yes, whenever I look at myself from a certain standpoint, then I find myself an incomplete being, no doubt. When I look at myself from the standpoint of the body, no doubt I'm a mortal being, subject to birth and death. Or when I look at myself from the standpoint of the mind, I'm an incomplete being. When I look at myself from the standpoint of the intellect, I'm incomplete with reference to knowledge. But then, the sense of incompleteness that I feel about myself arises because I do not look at myself as I am, but then I look at myself from a given standpoint. But then this body, this mind, the intellect, all of these are the tools, the vehicles that I have for, for performing certain functions. Who am I? Who dwells in the body? Well, the body is a dwelling place. The, the indweller is not the dwelling place. The self that dwells in the body has to be different from the body. And the mind and the intellect are the instruments that are used for performing various functions, like perception, like, like learning, like knowledge and all of these. But they are not myself. <coughs> and so let the desire arise. And we don't dismiss the desire. Let us analyze the source of desire. Where do I feel that lack? Why there is a desire? I'll find that that lack is there because I'm identified with something. I identified with my body, or identified with my mind, or identified with my intellect, and therefore I become of the size or of the dimension of the body, mind or intellect. But then, is there a validity about it? That identification arises from ignorance. Thus we will be able to see how desires arise from ignorance. You go ahead and satisfy your desires. But know that desire arises. At least understand this. That desires have their origin in ignorance. And that fulfillment of a desire will not eliminate that ignorance which is the cause. So we keep providing symptomatic treatment for ourselves as the desires arise, as a lack arises, we try to satisfy that. But then the desire per se does not go away because the very cause, namely ignorance, remains. The sense of incompleteness continues to remain. It just gets covered momentarily when a desire is satisfied, again it appears and in the form of another desire. So here Lord Krishna identifies desire as the first evidence of what we call ignorance. That is the first obstacle to the abidance of the knowledge. <coughs> and thus, by analyzing the nature of desire and understanding that even after fulfillment of the desire, that I do not in any way change anything because the ignorance cannot go by fulfilling desire which is a product of ignorance or by fulfilling the desire even that lack will not go because again it is, it, it is arising from ignorance. This is how a person becomes free from these cravings or desires. So Shankaraja said, Jatta Putra Vitta Lokaishana Sanyasi. One who has renounced all these various desires which arise from aviveka or non-discrimination, with the help of viveka or discrimination. So first step that is required in our life is viveka or discrimination. That when desires arise, when reactions arise, when thoughts arise, let us take time to scrutinize them. What is their source? Why do they arise? And what do I seek to achieve as a result of fulfillment of these desires? Also let us understand that. And what have I so far achieved by fulfilling variety of desires? Have I grown any more satisfied person than before? I may have grown wealthier. I may have grown famous. I may have grown bigger. But have I grown, grown to be a happier person or a more content person? I will find that any amount of external gain is, is, does not make me more happier than what I am. Some internal growth does make me happier. <coughs> And all of this we discuss at great length in Tattvavoda while discussing Viveka, Vairagya, etc. So this becomes therefore the first step here in order to understand the nature of self and in order to gain an abiding knowledge of self is to release the mind from 
these desires, the demands, which are not legitimate. As we say, there are certain demands which can be classified as legitimate. For example, maintenance of this body. Certain basic requirements are there for sustenance of life. Like body has natural needs for hunger and thirst and it's its basic protection and shelter. And we would not say that these desires are necessarily illegitimate because they are there to satisfy the, the to sustain the life. But other desires we are talking about. Desire for food I think is a valid desire, is a natural desire. But a certain kind of food, that's a cultivated desire. And eating only in a certain place is a cultivated desire. That there is a need for a shelter is understood, but the sixteen bedroom house with fifteen, you know, car garages and things of that, that is all cultivated stuff. It has nothing to do with the need for the shelter. It has to do with the need someplace here, which is an imaginary need. So, people are running after things. I think that there are certain genuine requirements which people have and that, that should be there. But then, we keep on uh, cre creating desires, creating requirements, because we find there is some, some void inside and we hope to fill up that void by surrounding ourselves with all kinds of things. Is it going to work? I mean, we have to ask these fundamental questions and thus make the mind see uh, the, the nature of the desire which is not legitimate. It is arising from and not understanding the nature of things. Okay, now that's the lesson we take from this verse. Now continuing the description of the wise man. How does he respond to different situations? This is in his mind, that his mind is free from desire, and that when he says free from desire, meaning he has grown out of desire. Understand? Uh, freedom from desire does not mean that he, he suppresses desire, or he dismisses desire, or he turns his back from the desire. It is that he has grown out of desire. Later on it will be said, Param rasavarjam rasopyasya param drashtva nivartate. Whenever we discover something better, the desire for the lesser goes away. When I get a car, the desire for a motorbike perhaps will go away. When I get a big house, the desire for a small house will go away. Thus in general, as we keep discovering better things in our life, the desire for the inferior things automatically drop away. So apparently wise man has discovered something which cannot be improved upon and that is a self, which cannot be improved upon and therefore there is no desire for anything less, there is no desire at all because he has achieved in, in short what he is seeking, namely total fulfillment and that is the self, self is of the nature of total fulfillment which he has known and therefore there is no desire. So very often when we listen to Vedantic talks and they talk about giving up desire, it's just such an unnatural thing. As you said, you cannot give up desire. Desire does not arise by seeking my permission, it just arises. I can scrutinize a desire and I can see the source of desire and recognize the desire as, as not a valid thing and thus I can resolve a desire by what we call discrimination or analysis. But I cannot say desire your horizon, I am sorry, I am not going to entertain you. It will make sure that it is entertained. It bugs me. I can perhaps brush aside, you know, by diverting my mind someplace. But again, when the mind becomes free, it again comes back. It will keep on bugging you. So desire cannot be ignored or cannot be uh, uh, suppressed. Desire has to be understood and analyzed. And that is how it has to be resolved. <coughs> Now, this is this internal condition with which we have, where we have no entry. But how does this freedom from desire, meaning freedom from dependence, we also said yesterday that desire is an expression of dependence also. Desire shows, when I desire something, it shows that I am dependent upon that thing for my happiness or security. I desire something, if I don't have it, I find myself incomplete or unhappy. And so the very desire or attachment shows a dependence. And freedom from desire also means freedom from, in, from, freedom from dependence, meaning an independence, which is what we call freedom or moksha. How does that freedom express itself in his day-to-day -day life? 
is now what is being said in the next two verses. In several verses, but Vrajeda came, Siddhadehi kim prabhasheta. How does he talk? Talking is not in terms of language. How does he respond? When he is confronted with various situations, how does he respond to the situations? That's where also we can learn something from him. And so the next verse, verse 56 says, Dukkheshvanu dvignamanaha, Sukheshu vigatasprahaha, Vidaragabhaya krodaha, Sthitadhir muniruchare. Dukkheshu anudvignamanaha. Dukkha means pain. Dukkheshu, in situations which can be classified as painful situations. And then there are three sources of pain and three sources of pleasure also. So generally speaking, three sources of pain are identified. Adhyatvika, Adhibhautika, Adhidaivika. There can be pain from my individual being, from body. There can be pain because of the body. Body may be suffering from some illness and whatever. There can be pain from my mind also. There can be some emotional disturbance. So there can be pain either in the body or there can be pain in the mind also. I may be sad, I may be worried, I may be anxious, I may be hurt and all kinds of things. These are also painful situations. So pain can be caused by what we call the individuality which is called Adhyatmika. Pain can be caused also by this, the, uh, the elements around me, Adhibhautika. Heat and cold and perhaps my neighbors and the people around me and then what also and all kinds of things can also cause me pain. They used to identify pain as Vyagra, Sarpa, Chora, etc. Like a tiger, like a snake, like a thief. All of these are also causes of pain. They are called Adibhautika, the pain arising from the environment around me. Pain can be from my neighbors, from my uh, not friends really, but from pe- people around me, that can be pain. That can be pain from cats and dogs bite and stuff like that, you know. So all of these pain can, can be classified as Adibhautika. And third is the pain that is arising, ari- that can arise from what we call cosmic forces. Like there can be an earthquake, there can be a storm, there can be a blizzard, all kinds of things can be there which can also cause pain. This will be called Devika. Adhyatmika, Adhibhautika, Adhidaivika. Pain arising from individual being, pain arising from the environment, pain arising from the cosmic happenings or cosmic forces. So when all these different kind of pains, and then there is no one here who will be spared of these pains. Whether man is wise or otherwise, it is the nature of the situations to bring pain and pleasure to us. How does a normal person respond to pain? But Udvega, if I am confronted with a painful situation and I cannot, I cannot uh, retaliate or I cannot eliminate it, I cannot remove it and then I meekly suffer that pain and that kind of feeling that arises in me is called Udvega, I get perturbed. So when I, am, I meet with a painful situation, I get perturbed. And Sukheshu Vigadaspurhaha. Similarly also when Sukha or a pleasant situation arises. That can also arise from body. I am feeling very good with my body. I am feeling very good with my mind. That can give me happiness. Or happiness can also arise from situations around me. From the friends. From my neighbors. From same cats and dogs and animals also. All of these can also cause me happiness. Or there can be happiness caused by cosmic events. My stars are very favorable, you know. And so that can also, they can also cause me pleasure or happiness. So just as there can be pain from these three sources, there can be pleasure also from the same three sources. And when we confront this pleasure or, or what we call happy situation, how do we respond? We respond with spruha. We want more and more of it. Usually when we meet with painful situations, situations which are unpleasant, situations which are unfavorable, we don't want them. And when we find that we can't avoid them, we feel totally helpless. A sense of helplessness that arises, a sense of perturbance that arises, a sense of suffering, uh, that hopelessness that arises in me, 
or sadness that arises in me when I am confronted with painful situation is, is, an, is generally what happens to an ignorant person. On the other hand, when I meet with what we call pleasant situations, then I welcome them. I want more and more of them. Spruha. Spruha means a greater a desire for more and more of that happiness or pleasure arises in me. Like fire. If you pour butter in the fire, how the fire leaps, you know, the flames leap and want more and more of it. And so, so in my mind today, if you give me pleasant situations, then I wish to have, suppose you praise me, I want more and more of that. Give me good food, I want more and more of that. Give me comfortable situation, I want more and more of that. I want that it should never go away from me. It should always remain with me. So this, like the fire growing when the butter is poured, similarly mind also grows in its craving for happiness as it gets more and more. This particular thing is called spruha, which is what an ignorant person or a common person has. So common, this to contrast the wise man from the common person, it is say here, the Keshu Anudvignamanaha. He doesn't get perturbed, he doesn't get disturbed, he does not react with any kind of, uh, any kind of helplessness or sadness when he meets with painful situations. Nor does he get elated or does he jump in joy or whatever because he meets with what we call pleasant situations. Is it because a fellow is insensitive? This, this also can happen. Somebody just doesn't feel the pain. He's not sensitive at all. Then also he may not react. Or somebody is not sensitive to pleasure or happiness, then also the person cannot react. Is it the lack of reaction that we find in the wise man that points to the mind that is able to maintain in all these pleasant and unpleasant situations? Is it because of a lack of sensitivity? No. The reason is given in the second line. Because sthitadhihi, sthitadhihi also meaning the one who abides in this knowledge is vitaraga bhayakrodha. The one from whom raga, bhaya and krodha they have gone away. Raga means attachment, bhaya means fear, krodha means anger. Since his mind is free from this attachment, or craving for the pleasure and fear and anger, therefore he enjoys a poise of mind, not because he is insensitive. So wisdom makes the mind free from attachments, means cravings, free from fear and free from anger. This is how we can see the direct immediate result of the wisdom. Or the extent that we have gained this wisdom, to that extent we become free from this. Where is raga? Raga means attachment. What is meant by raga is that I feel happy in presence of a given thing. Or in absence of it, again I feel unhappy. So when a thing can make me happy by being present, or the thing can make me unhappy, I miss something when it is not there, understand that that relationship is called raga. And dvesha is just the opposite. That I'm unhappy because something is there and I feel happy when that thing goes away, I can get rid of it. Then that kind of a reaction is called dvesha or aversion. So this attachment and aversion is a kind of relationship that we generally have with the objects, things and beings of the world. As it is said in third chapter, we say Indriyasya Indriyasya se Ragadvesho That with reference to various objects of the senses. There is a relationship of Raga and Dvesha. There are things that I like, I would like to have them. And there are things that I dislike, I would want to avoid them. There were many things about which I am indifferent. I don't care whether they are there or not, whether this pond is there or not, doesn't matter to me. This tree is there, alright. This neighbor is there, doesn't matter to me. Today these things don't matter to me. I am indifferent to them. But definitely each one of them has the potential of becoming an object of like or dislike someday. If someone asks me to plunge into the pond, perhaps I would, I would not like it if it is cold. Or if it is very hot season, maybe perhaps jumping into the pond might be something pleasurable. So all the objects of the world, either I have for them an attachment or aversion, 
or they have the potential of creating an attachment or aversion in a given situation. And when there is an attachment, then I am dependent on that thing because I cannot be happy without that. I am happy in presence of that or when I experience that or when I possess that or I am unhappy when, I, when it's opposite. I don't possess it. I don't have it. And this makes me dependent upon the, the situations and the objects. And what it causes is fear. When I want something badly or I must have it, there's always a fear of losing it or not having it or some obstacle coming and causing a separation between me and what I love. And thus when an obstacle comes to something that I desire, and I cannot retaliate or I cannot remove the obstacle, I cannot do anything about the situation, then that sense of helplessness that I feel ultimately results in what we call fear. Bhaya. I'm afraid that this thing will go away. I'm afraid that some unpleasant thing will come. And when I feel that I'm able to do something about the situation, that let me see how some unpleasant thing comes to me, then what arises is krodha or anger. So when I feel that I am able to retaliate or res respond to a situation, then krodha or anger will arise. Suppose I want something badly and someone comes in the way of my acquiring that, definitely I am going to be angry. Anger arises whenever the expression of my desire is stifled. When I, I like something very much and there is an obstacle to that, it is going to arouse an anger in me when I think that I can actually remove the obstacle. When I find that I cannot remove the obstacle, it creates in me an udvega or the possibility of not being able to get it creates in me a fear. So raga, bhaya and krodha. Attachment, fear and anger. These are the products of what we call ignorance. Why do you say that? This look like very natural feelings. They are natural feelings, but then they have their source in ignorance. Because why am I attached to a thing in the first place? I see, I superimpose happiness upon a thing. I think that when I get a certain object, that I'll be happy. Because I think that the object promises me happiness. Object delivers happiness to me. Or by the same token, I see unhappiness in some other object and therefore I have aversion for that. The truth of the matter is, a thing inherently cannot either give me happiness nor can it give me unhappiness. Because if a thing could give me happiness, it should give me happiness all the time. Or it should be happiness to everyone. But something that makes me happy can make my neighbor quite unhappy. The very stereo which makes me so happy, I switch on, the neighbor is just, you know, he just uh, comes and shouts at me because the very same thing makes me so unhappy. In India, when you are traveling in buses and public transportation, even though there is a very clear notice there, smoking prohibited. Very often people don't observe that. They start smoking. Now, he's my neighbor, I sitting beside me, you know, and he enjoys the smoke. And the very smoke comes in my nose, which I hate. So very same thing can, which can make me, make someone happy, can make someone equally unhappy. And thus, when we analyze the nature of things by themselves, objectively, then we realize that happiness cannot be inherently the content, content of anything. Nor can unhappiness be a content of anything. Both of them are something that is projected by my mind. Therefore, even attachment and aversion itself is an expression of ignorance, not knowing the true nature of things. And therefore, ignorance creates attachment and aversion. They in turn create fear and anger and therefore in the mind of a common person there is attachment, aversion, fear, anger, all of this is there. And therefore when I meet with a pleasant situation because of attachment I want it. I want to hold on to it. Even though a person knows that what comes will go away and still I want to hold on to the thing. And thus I create a situation where again someday I will have to be disappointed because what comes does go. In any case, there is always, there is a nature of the thing that I want something to remain with me, it has a tendency to leave me. And I want something not to come to me, it always wants, you know, uninvited things come to me. 
and thus constantly we keep on reacting with Udvega and Spraha. Only we get sad inside or we get elated and thus the mind always goes in a seesaw. Uh, wise man enjoys the poise of mind because on account of knowledge of the nature of things and nature of the self, his mind is free from raga, dvesha, attachment, aversion, fear, anger and whatever. Sthitadhihi munihi uchyade, he is called munihi, munihi means a wise person. Man means to, to think, munihi is a thinking person or in a person of knowledge, enlightened person. So such an enlightened person does not react to the situations because does not see any need to react. Anyway, we also don't react to situations. The moment when you are happy internally, then we find that the whole world is nice. See, when I find that I am good or I am happy with myself, I find myself happy with everything. When I am unhappy with myself, I find again myself unhappy with other things also. This person is happy at home with himself and therefore he is at home with everything else also. And therefore no reactions of Udvega or no reactions of Spraha. Neither relation nor depression. This he is free from this kind of cycles because he is free from Raga, Bhaya and Krodha attachment, fear and anger. And therefore also the 57 verse Yes, Sarvatranam Hisneha, Tatat Pratya Shubhashubham, Nabhinanda Dinadveshti, Tasya Pragna Pratishthita. Yes, Sarvatra Anabhisneha. Sneha means affection. Abhisneha, excessive affection or excessive attachment. Yes, Sarvatra Anabhisneha. One is not excessively attached to anything. Sneha or affection, I guess, is the nature of a wise person. That he is affectionate to everyone, as it will be said in the twelfth chapter. Adveshta sarabhutanam maitraha karunaha evaha. Evacha. One who doesn't have dvesha or aversion for anything. Maitraha, one who is friendly to everyone. And karunaha, one who is compassionate to everyone. So that natural affection is there. But abhisneha, an excessive attachment is not there. And what is meant by excessive attachment? That when there is a sympathetic response in me, suppose I am excessively attached to my son, that if my son is successful in an examination, I feel that I am successful. When that fellow fails, I feel that I have failed. When very often it happens that the son gets ill, the mother is so attached to the child, mother also gets, feels, you know, falls ill as though she also suffers from the same thing. So very often we find ourselves sympathetically undergoing the same kind of a change that the object of our attachment is going through. Particularly the body. Dehe pushte aham pushtaha, dehe nashte aham nashtaha. When the body is doing well, I'm very happy. Body is not doing well, I'm very unhappy. My family is doing well, I'm happy. They are not doing well, I am unhappy. Friends are doing well, I am happy. Not doing well, I am unhappy. So this kind of is, this kind of a relationship that I have is called abhisneha, an excessive attachment. Yes, sarvatra anabhisneha. He is free from this kind of an excessive attachment because his freedom or security does not depend upon any given setup or any given thing. He has discovered that freedom and security from within himself and therefore, see when there is attachment, attachment always is a demanding situation. When I am attached to something, there is always a demand that that thing should always uh, satisfy my desire or my requirement. This is called attachment. In love, love is different from attachment. In love there is always giving. In love there is fullness and therefore always giving. In attachment, there is emptiness and therefore there is always demanding. So, Abhisneha, excessively attached. These people who are excessively attached to their family or friends are equally demanding. That you demand that your children should function in a certain way. That your friends should always treat you in a certain way. That your family always should, you know, behave with you in a given way. 
Thus, where there is attachment, there is always a demand. This wise person is free from any kind of a demand. This is a sign of freedom from attachment. He doesn't demand that the world should be like this. He doesn't demand that the people should be like this, this and this. He doesn't demand that anything should be other than what it is. That shows that he is able to be at home with the situations and things and beings as they are. So, yes, sarvatra anabhisneha. One who doesn't have any excessive attachment for a given thing, which means that the one who is at home everywhere. When I am attached to a given thing, I can be at home there, but not elsewhere. Not attached to anything doesn't mean again he is insensitive. It means that he is at home with everything. He is equally happy with everything and therefore there is no one thing which he requires in order to be happy. Tattat prapya shubhashubam nabhinandati nadveshti Tattat prapya shubhashubham And the destiny brings to him variety of situations which can be classified as shubha and ashubha. Shubha means favorable, conducive or happy or agreeable. And ashubha means unfavorable, disagreeable, unhappy. Thus destiny as it brings to everyone. For the two wise men also, destiny brings shubha and ashubha, ishta and anishta, desirable and undesirable, or pleasant and painful, agreeable and disagreeable. These kind of situations are constantly brought to the wise person. As there is, they are brought to anyone else. Na abhinandati nadveshti. When I am confronted with what I call a conducive or a pleasurable situation, abhinandati, I jump in joy and I feel very happy and I praise the person who has been the source of my joy. Which is fine. But suppose somebody causes me pain, then what? Immediately then, I also condemn that person. So usually an ordinary person praises and condemns. Stuti and Ninda. Ninda means censure, condemning. And Stuti means praise. So usually these are the common responses that come from us, from an ordinary people or people who are not wise. makes me happy, somebody says some good things about me, somebody creates a nice situation for me, then I praise that thing. And somebody else does the opposite, immediately I censure that person. So stuti and ninda, pleasure, praising or condemning. These are the kind of responses that ordinary people have. Wise man is free from both of them. He neither praises anybody nor does he condemn anybody. Because he finds everybody fine. He finds, praise comes when I find somebody better than something else. Or I condemn something when I find somebody, well, inferior to something else. He doesn't see that. He finds everything quite okay. He finds everything perfect, let us say. Because everything on one hand is mitya, or everything on the other hand is Brahman alone. He sees his own self reflected everywhere. And therefore, doesn't find anything to be condemned, nor does he find anything to be praised. So, na abhinandati, na dveshti. And that is how also he is able to maintain what we call a balance or poise of his mind. Tasya pragnya pratishthita. Only for such a person, pragnya or the wisdom becomes pratishthita, becomes abiding. When can the knowledge of wisdom become abiding? When the mind doesn't react. Mind doesn't go up and down like a seesaw, now elated and then depressed. In that, that mind cannot be steady, in there the wisdom can never abide, cannot be steady. The mind is steady or abiding because it is a non-reacting mind. And non-reacting not because out of force you do not react. Non-reaction does not mean that you don't express your reactions. Or that you have made yourself insensitive not, not to feel anything. On the other hand, there is no need for reactions to arise. Reactions again, as we said, are nothing but the products of ignorance or not understanding the nature of things. But on account of wisdom, this man, wise man is free from all reactions. It is reaction that bring about stuti and in the praise and censure. So such things do not arise in him because he sees everything as fine. 
and then we can also see that that the pleasure and the pain both of them are part of life and regardless of what we do we cannot avoid them because that's the, history, the story of the human life we can like the wheel which goes up and down and so also the situations will keep on going up and down now it is pleasant and then it is painful this being the case he accepts the situations as they come and respects things as they come therefore in pleasure pleasure he doesn't just jump in elation nor in pain does he get depressed or sad and thus this is how the wise man is on account of his wisdom but this become the values for those who want to be wise for those who are seeking knowledge and what's the value vitaraga bhaya krodha hai that he is free from attachments and fear and anger and therefore we should also real, realize that attachments anger fear all of these are products of ignorance and therefore when they arise in our own mind we should be we should scrutinize them not simply come under the sway anger arose that i come under the sway fear arose again i come under the sway they will arise because of the habit but then we should look at them scrutinize them and determine the causes and also the situation of condemning things blaming things dismissing them censuring them that also does not in any way because even if i criticize things or i censure things it doesn't change anything so it's better that we understand that these are also facts of life that things can be unpleasant things can be imperfect everything has its virtues and everything has its limitations sometimes you may be exposed to the virtue sometimes you may be exposed to the limitation both of them are are facts of life and have to be accepted in an objective manner tasyevam harsh vishada varjasya viveka ja pragnya pratishtha bhavati for a person such as this who is harsh vishada varjita who is free from elation and depression viveka ja pragnya that wisdom that is born as a result of the discrimination between the self and the non self pratishtha bhavati it becomes abiding <coughs> so these are the two words these two verses tell us how does a wise man respond to various situations the next verse tells us how does he remain with himself suppose he is not uh, respond doesn't have to respond to any situations so how does he what sort of a control does he have over his mind or how is he when he is with himself and that lord krishna explains in the verse 58 with a beautiful illustration yada samharate chayam kurmangani vasarvashah indriyani indriyasebhya tasya prajna pratishtita give the illustration of a tortoise kurmah kurmah means a tortoise angani sarvashah samharate so whenever there is a f- when is when there is some fear then the tortoise effortlessly withdraws all his limbs under the shell that's how the tortoise does so whenever there is some kind of fear how it withdraws all at will how the tortoise at will is able to withdraw all its limbs within under his shell and similarly also indriyani indriyarthebhya yada ayam samharate and so so normally my sense organs are out in the world among the sense objects but at will if i am able to withdraw my sense objects from the sense organs like a tortoise withdraws at will all his limbs from the uh, any when it desires if that kind of a control of mind i have then tasya prajna pratishtita then the prajna or the wisdom can become abiding that this is the kind of a control or a mastery that the wise man has over his mind that he can withdraw his mind at will he can shake off things from his mind also at will there can be sometimes temporarily you know effects of the situation but one can shake off swami used to give illustration of a tanger doll it's a doll having a very heavy base and so if the doll is standing like this with a heavy base if you tilt it it will again become erect tilt in another direction become erect why because there is a heavy base 
And so also, even the mind gets tilted momentarily. On account of the situation, immediately again it regains its composure. And so, here the wise man is described as the one who has this mastery over the mind, that at will he can withdraw his sense, or, sense organs from the sense objects. Indriyani, Indriyarthebhya, Samharate. Samharate. Samharate means withdraws. And very well withdraws. Withdraws at will. So one who has this, thus the ability to withdraw one's mind at will. When you say withdraw sense organs, we mean withdrawal of the mind. That the mind may be running out in various, various pursuits or various preoccupations. Ability to withdraw. And that can be there only when the mind is reaction free. If the mind is running out because of attachment or aversion, then we'll see how it is not possible for us to withdraw the mind. We wish the mind should think of a certain thought and the mind continues to think what it thinks. I wish often that my mind should not think of a certain thought, it continues to think. I wish that my mind should be free from thoughts, it continues to think. And we therefore find that we do not enjoy a mind which is at our, uh, which is under our control. Or let us say, which does what we want it to do. That we do not enjoy that mastery over the mind, that we can apply the mind where we want to apply. More often than not, the mind has its own way or own sway upon ourselves. Here on the other hand, this is a person who enjoys a mastery of the mind. And therefore, is able to withdraw the mind at will from its preoccupations or from its pursuits, just as a tortoise is able to withdraw his sense organs within himself. Okay. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavantau Punaf Punaha Ishvaro Gururatmeti Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Gurubhyo Namaha Hari Om